everybody. Welcome back to Stories with Bree. I am super excited about my guest on tonight or on today. I'm always recording at random times, so you guys never know exactly when this is happening. But um, I'm super excited about my special guest today, which is Jessica Pride, who is the editor. I got my book, yeah. Who is the editor of Black Love Matters? We'll talk on romance, things and happily ever after. And so I will be honest, Jessica, when I first, uh, first off, your book was showing up everywhere, all over my bookstagram and all over social media. And I was like, who is this? First off, Black Love Matters, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I was like, who is she? Where is she coming from? And then you, I was introduced to you directly from one of the guests that was on my show. Her name is Tia Dover. I'm not sure if you um, know her you're familiar with it but she's a, a, a black librarian as well and she was mm-hmm. like I think you should reach out to um this a fellow librarian a fellow colleague and name is Jessica she re- and she um writes the book or she's the editor of the book Black Love Matters and I was like yo this has been popping up everywhere I have to reach out to to Jessica so I was super excited that you were um very open to having this conversation so thank you for coming on and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to um, fellow folks of all of the things. <laughs> right, right, because we do all the things. Even though um, we do have one common thing in common, which is our profession as librarians, I do all the things too. I write <laughs> as well. And I also have my own book. So yeah, I'm just super excited about this. Like I said, I'm going to start us off, um, before I start us off with some icebreakers, if you want to give more information about your background and who you are as a person to the audience, please feel free to do that. Sure. Um, like Bree said, I am Jessica Pride. I currently live in Tucson, Arizona, although I grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, and I have been a librarian of various sorts um, throughout my career for the past 13 years, which is wild. (laughs) Yeah, I've only been um, a professional librarian now. It'll be six years in May. So I'm like, wait, where did six years go (laughs) that fast? I can understand when you're calculating the numbers in your head, you're like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when did 13 years pass that fast so um that's that's fun that you you've been here for that long and I'm an advocate for the library and advocate for more people of color coming into the field of librarianship because mm-hmm. although we very we're very diverse in our audiences in the public facing space we still need more people of color who operate and come into the profession I was actually before we got on this zoom call I was convincing someone in their DMs on why they should become a librarian. <laughs> I was like, it's not too late. If you decide that you want to come on, come on over. We need more of us here. So I was like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm glad. That's a door. I'm going to talk to you about that later. So I'm going to figure out how to convince her to go to school for librarianship. It's like, listen, we can fit this into your schedule. You can go online. There are plenty of programs. There is no mm-hmm. reason for you not to do this so um 
Let's get right into it. Um, one of the first icebreakers, I ask everybody this when they come on, just so we can kind of build some rapport and, and open up the conversation. The first icebreaker is, what was your favorite, if you can remember, what was your favorite childhood book? I had a few. Um, the, there's like the one that I always had for some reason, um, that I read like way beyond childhood over and over, which was the monster at the end of this book, the, the golden book with Grover in it. And he's like, don't turn the page. Um, and I, I just recently got a t-shirt that says you turn the page with Grover on it. And that was one of one, like, I, I don't know what it was I loved about that book, but it definitely, um, is one that I always go back to. And then the other one is Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters by John Steptoe. I never had my own personal copy of that, but I remember going to that in the classroom always, whenever, um, it was, you know, a read aloud with the teacher or we had like quiet reading time. I'm not even sure I remember what the story was about, but like just turning the pages and looking at the paintings and it was just, it was such a gorgeous book. I, now I gotta see if I can find a copy to yeah. have for myself. <laughs> I've heard of both of those. I've never read them. And um, one of my goals as I continue to navigate having these conversations as books are dropped, as I talk to people at the end of each season, I don't know how, don't hold me to this, you guys, but at the end, <laughs> of the season, my goal is to create like maybe a bibliophile of the season of all of the books that were mentioned so that mm -hmm. people who may be interested, they can go and, and purchase or, you know, check them out at their local library. And so as a librarian, I when librarians come on, I, I don't just ask them, do they have a library card? I ask them how many library cards do they have? So how many, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, librarians, I expect us to have library cards. And it's not always the case, but I expect us to. But how many library cards do you have? I've so far am at the top and I realized that I've just seen too much as far as library cards are concerned. So I'm curious about <laughs> how many you have. I, at the moment, only have one. I can, I can use uh, like 11 library systems with them, but since I um, have gone beyond the amount of time where I could use the ones that I left in other places without having to go in person to renew them. Um, I've just got the one for my local system, but I, I love consortia that allow you to like use, use other people's collections too. Yeah, I do too. Um, my, back in my hometown, uh, East, I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois. And back in my hometown, my library card as well allowed me to go to other library systems throughout if they were a part of like the Illinois Heartland system, I could just take my card and go use the different types of libraries there. And I thought that that was so awesome because I was like, you can we we could always do this. I didn't know this that I could always do this and I could just bring my card and go there. So I definitely think it's beneficial. I like I said, I'm I'm probably team too much. I'm at the top. A lot of a uh, quite a few of mine are expired, and I only actively use like maybe three of them right now. Um, mm -hmm. I've had over a course of time, a total of maybe up to 15. So I was like, I recognize that I might be team too much, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I love better team too much than not at all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So are you a digital or pen and paper person? Both. 
um, I, and I've sort of combined them. Um, I, some, at some point during the, um, during the pandemic, I got an iPad cause my husband had one. I was watching him play with it and I was like, I want one of those. And I happened to be able like have a little bit of extra cash hanging out. Um, and now I try to use the digital notebook because I still really like writing things down, but I'm trying to use less paper. Um, although I still love notebooks. So I've just got notebooks all over the place and I try to figure out how to use them <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah, uh, same, same. I have a lot of journals and I never used to be a real pen and paper person. I just started like becoming one within the last maybe four years where I physically write more things down, but I've always been team digital, like big team digital, but I, I feel like there is something cathartic about writing something physically and mm -hmm. being able to release in that way. So I do do a little bit of both, but I lean more digital. Um, and it's been interesting because the last few conversations I have been getting a lot of people who said that they do both, which is nice. And that's good to know that, that I'm not only the only person that that prefers to do to have options. And so who is other than yourself? Who's your favorite author or writer? Gosh, I, I always get this question and I'm always like drawn aback by my brain not really being able to answer the question because it it comes and goes um day by day um you know like today i'm going to say it's beverly jenkins because she one she's at the top of my mind um i've probably read more of her books than anyone else's and she's just someone that I always look towards as like an aspiration for being both a writer and a human being. So <laughs> Beverly I, Jenkins, let's go with it. Okay, I agree. You know, I've not personally been able to meet her yet. I've been in a couple forums with her and she's fun. She's a riot. She's a definitely mm -hmm. um, to listen to. And I've not been able don't tell on me. I haven't read any of her books as of yet, but I am leaning towards that. Like just being in the space with her and understanding that she is more into romantic novels and romance in that in romance. I was like, hmm, this is interesting because I feel like when I was younger, I would have thought that I would have ran across her because I did read a lot more of romance, like romance novels, what we consider or what was considered by mainstream as urban fiction. I read a lot mm -hmm. of those that dealt with relationships and with connections and, and Black relationships and Black love, which actually gets us into deep diving into uh, what we're here for, which is talking about this beautiful compilation that you have so carefully constructed of these amazing writers. And um, I, I just, like I said, I haven't had, haven't had the opportunity to really deep dive into a lot of her literature, but it's on my TBR because we always have a TBR, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And it's a miles long, like it's miles long. So she's on my TV, right? But um, I definitely think highly of her and I really appreciate the work that she's been doing for a very long time. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like our conversation is going to be a little twofold. I'm going to ask you a couple questions about you as a librarian. Then I'm going to, of course, really deep dive into talking to you because I did take the time 
I had to put a rush on my book. I was like, listen, I'm gonna talk to Jessica. I gotta get this book and I gotta hurry up and get it. So um I I got it and I read it over the course of well, I didn't read the whole book. I only I read your part, I read your essay, and then I read the introduction, the parts that you contributed to, and then I'm gonna go through, which is what I kind of like about compilation uh compilations is the fact that you can skip through and mm -hmm. He was like, maybe today I'll decide to read one of the essays and see what's going on. And so I was like, I have to get this book because I want to talk to Jessica. And I already wanted the book anyway, so it gives me an excuse to spend money on books. Um, <laughs> and so I was just like, okay, I'm super excited about this. But you talk about, even on your website, on your Instagram, uh, even now in that conversation, you talk about your love for romance literature, your love for romance novels which like you said in your introduction, is not something that you always hear about in mainstream or when it comes to people who love reading, they don't often talk about their love for romance if they even have a, a love for romance literature. And so when I was listening, when I was reading um, through the introduction, you made some very valid points, but I also just wanted to pick your brain because I've been considering trying to do something of this magnitude, but I just didn't have, I, I won't say I don't have direction, but I was just like, how do you bring such brilliant minds together in one place? What was your thought process when you went in and you had this idea of Black Love Matters? Like, how did that go? How did you go about asking these people, can you be a part of this amazing thing that I have going on? So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. I started out um, with the idea. And once I decided that I, I really wanted it to be um, a collection of all kinds of voices, because the the book that sparked the idea for me was a, a different collection, um, Well Read Black Girl. And for a while, I was like, do I just write about my own perspective on this? Like, how should I go about this? And when I finally decided that no, a lot of voices are really what this kind of book needs, I <laughs> I wasn't sure how to go about it, you know, um, because of my own connections just from being on romance Twitter for a million years and working with a few authors, um, through the festival of books that I work with and through the library and through just um, knowing people, I um, have access to some people in really weird ways. Like there were some people I just like went on Twitter DM um, and some people I had to go like a little more formally like to their agents and be like, I had my whole pitch written out like I'm working on this project. It's about this. And um, I would love to have this author's perspective on this, this and this. Um, and some sometimes I actually wrote directly to people if they had either like a comments box on their website um, or if I somehow managed to get their direct email. Like there was the first person that I emailed is actually not a contributor to the book because she was like, this is a great idea, I don't have time. But I went really high to start out with because once I did that, it was like, okay, I got that one out of the way. I can I can start communicating with people who feel like real humans now. <laughs> um, and. And I just sort of managed to get responses from this great group of people, many of whom I 
definitely messaged on Twitter. Okay, yeah. I feel kind of feel the same way about this podcast. Like, um, and I, I have not, I actually, I won't say I started low because nobody is low in my totem pole, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely was a bit of a stretch for me, um, for my introverted side of me to be like, uh, can you please be against my practice? Like, and so it's like even just reaching out, I was like, okay, I have to have some boldness. I have to, you know, beef myself up about this and be like, listen, I enjoy your work. I enjoy what you're doing. I see you. I see you're out here. Like, can you please come in and come on my show? So I understand having those nerves and trying to be like, oh my goodness, I I want to reach out to this person. Hopefully they'll respond. Hopefully they don't think I'm spam. I've had. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is not a spam. Like, I am a real person. I literally want you to come on to the show. And it has been proven favorable. So I'm glad that that has been working out for you. Well, I'm glad it did work out for you because otherwise we wouldn't have got this amazing compilation of, like, essays. And so Mm -hmm. um, that definitely plays, I feel like, plays a part in, you know, just getting out of your comfort zone and reaching out to people and being like, look, I have this idea. I have this going on. I know that I can't do this by myself. Help us with that. Mm-hmm. Help me Thanks out. Me. And I'm glad that worked out for you. Um, there are so many things that you said in this intro. Like you, and you did mention that well-read black girl was a part of your inspiration. But there are so many other things that you have in here that I was like, I said, I'm not always a person that like annotates a book but I have to line, I have to like <laughs> underline this because this is great. One of the things you said was black people, especially in the United States, a happily ever after has, hasn't always been easy to come by and continues to present challenges. And I was like, sis, listen, why are you in my business? Because <laughs> this is true. This is true for me in real life. And then another thing that you said is that black community, um, well, it starts off as saying race pictures and novels written by Black creators developed their own popularity within the Black community, but weren't considered works of the canon until long after the deaths of the people involved in their production. And then it says Black consumers were expected to fall for the white narratives of love and romance that were offered to them. And that spoke to my dear old soul. And here's why. Um, growing up as a person who was almost sometimes force-fed Shakespeare and Mm. force-fed all of these different, what we consider canonical, what they would consider the canonical literature, and then not having somebody who was in maybe an English major or whatever, trying to explain my frustration to them. It was like, first off, what is canonical literature? What is a canon? What are you talking about? And so a part of my way of rebelling against the canon throughout undergrad, throughout grad school, was literally creating um, and centering myself around Black literature and about uh, around people who wrote specifically about Black characters and things of that nature and writing my papers specifically focusing on those types of authors and things and, and just that was my way of resistance to say these people deserve to also have their airtime. Like I shouldn't have to, my whole English degree shouldn't be based off of all 
well-off white men, white males. And it's not mm -hmm. to say that they don't deserve to be here, but it's to say that this is not all that's out there. So mm -hmm. when you said that, I really appreciate, I said, finally, somebody put what I've been thinking on paper because I agree, like, come on, like, well, uh, and why are we doing this? Like, why are we not, you know, creating more narratives? And and in your essay, you talks about you talk about it a lot more. And then you even said something along the lines of romantic love has been one of the most essential elements of storytelling for centuries. Centuries. Please elaborate on that. Um, talk about that. Talk about your love for for romance and why. Um, you you make such a bold statement to say that because I agree with it but please elaborate on that point sure I mean if you think about storytelling of from all across the world there is often some element of of romantic piece to it I mean if you look at the fairy tales that we've disneyfied um even the ones that don't end like they do with Disney, there is um, not just a marriage, but a, 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 a relationship that builds. If you look at myth from all over the ancient world, there's tales of people doing all kinds of things in order to get back to their lover, to save their lover, all of that stuff. Like there, we can't say that everyone for the past million years or however long humanity has been around i can't remember um has has told stories with love at the center because maybe in certain situations that's not always been the case but if we look at like the biggest stories and even in that canonical um grouping of of stories there's so many even the ones that don't have a happily ever after that center some kind of romantic experience look at shakespeare's comedies look at shakespeare's tragedies look at um victorian writing and uh, you know ancient griot tales and like anything that you can think of even if it's not all of the stories there are a lot of them that center that sort of romantic thing that ends in a wedding but isn't just about the contractual wedding arrangement so mm -hmm. um it's just something that maybe isn't everything but that i as someone who loves love stories has noticed mm -hmm. a, a thread throughout yeah i agree i agree um absolutely now you mentioned something that i personally did not know and I was like, wait, and I didn't bother to go back here and read up on it, but you mentioned about Pew Research Center. I trust them, they're trusted source. So whatever you got from them, I believe that it is true. And you mm -hmm. said the, the, most, the person most likely to read a book in the United States is a college educated black woman. And mm -hmm. I said, yes, sis, absolutely. As, a, as speaking as a English major, in undergrad, mm -hmm. I had the equivalent of anywhere between 10 and 20 books that I had to try to read in a semester. Now, did I read all of those books? Absolutely. <laughs> but I had to read them. I actually 
got burned out from reading because of me. I said, what, why did I think to do this? I got burned out for reading, but now I'm back into reading for pleasure and I consume literature like crazy. So I agree with that. And so I think that, like you said, it's important that, um, like you said, we deserve joy in our lives. And it's important that we see ourselves in mm -hmm. literature. And not only do we see ourselves in literature, but we see couples and people that look like us in literature. Mm -hmm. And so why did you think that that was important to let people know, like, listen, the, the majority of people that's out here reading is black, is black college educated black women, you know, you need to make more stuff that caters to this audience because they're mm -hmm. the ones that's spending their dollars. And mm -hmm. um, why do you think it's important for us to have more love, love stories that center on black love, black stories, you know, black relationships in all capacities? Why do you think that that's so important? Well, I, I always go back to um, at some point in one conversation that I saw probably online, um, Beverly Jenkins mentioning that in her earliest days talking with Vivian Stevens mm -hmm. in their work together and in talking to the majority white publishing industry, the argument was that black people didn't read. So why did we need to publish all of these books by black people? And, you know, Toni Morrison probably said something similar and, and you know, like over the course of the 20 years between Toni Morrison and Beverly Jenkins publishing their first book, no one really changed their minds about the fact that black people don't read. But the person most likely to pick up a book is a black woman. So if we take into account the fact that romance is majority written and read by women, the most probable person to be reading a romance novel is a black woman. Absolutely. So why, why is it so hard to present a story by black women or black authors of any gender featuring black characters that we can make a connection with and you know people say oh it's getting better we're seeing more and more but if you look at even just traditional publishing which is you know maybe 50 percent of romance that's being published because so many authors are self-publishing it's less than 10 percent so if we look at less than 10 percent not even, it doesn't even make it to the demographic of what America looks like. Mm -hmm. Like the right, the pu publishing industry doesn't look like America. So can we at least get there? So that, <laughs> so that we see what our world looks like? Yeah, absolutely. And that even kind of like encompasses the library world, the library mm -hmm. world profession is like, you know or you are aware that the people that are more likely to use and utilize the library are people who are people of color who are from underrepresented populations and communities why are we not doing more to expand our reach and to recruit people from those from those those um communities people mm -hmm. from those demographics and it's like 
we have these little things in place, these little procedures, these little movements to say, look, we, we have made progress in this area, but it's like 1%. Maybe we took one step when we should have probably took 10 steps. And, and I, and I agree with you. I feel like that is part of the reason I'm, cause me personally, I am a self-published author and I help authors self-publish. I think that is part of the reason why more and more people are leaning into, especially people of color are leaning more into self-publishing because they are not the ones who get the book deals from mm -hmm. these big publishers. And it is kind of hard to, it's hard to always have to get rejected or to feel like you're being rejected all the time and not only it's also hard to feel like you don't belong there and so when there's not a space created for you or nobody's really advocating for you to be in that space then you you do lean more towards oh well I can try to do this myself but then like you're saying even with the self-publishing you're not really getting the advertising you're not getting the marketing dollars you're not getting the system because you have to do the legwork yourself you're not getting the the um, system to push behind you, and oftentimes your book can find can be on Amazon, and it could disappear quick, quickly if you're not getting people like they're purchasing the book, but they're not writing reviews and trying mm -hmm. to learn how to do those things. It's it's a, it's a little tough out here in these self published streets, but um, <laughs> I agree with you in the sense that there needs to be um, some type of reorg, some type of overhaul of understanding like look at the numbers you see this literally cater to your markets that that these people are thirsty they're they're wanting they're desiring to have something that that looks like them that centers on them that and we are very much so a testament that if you write it if you film it whatever we will show up the people mm -hmm. will come and so um what do you think are some steps uh, just a brief, you don't have to say a whole lot. You don't have to even go into a rant if you don't, or if you choose to, feel free, you have the floor. But what do you think there are some steps um, that the publishing company, that the publishing community can take, additional steps that they can take to kind of like get more uh, outside of, of course, catering to the market? What other things do you think that they can implement and put in place for them to cater to these audiences and to create more literature that are that is written by black people about black people for black people how do you think mm -hmm. they can go about doing that what steps do you feel like or you're passionate about them taking that can help with that well like one of the things obviously i have not done a case study of any of the big five publishing houses to see where the employees of color are but in a lot of cases, they are not in the top tier editing positions. They're not in the the places to actually make the decisions about who to bring on as new authors. And they're not they're not the people who are saying, "Oh, we already have that that writer, that that black author, that black queer author. We don't need another one." Mm -hmm. That that check mark check box is taken. So. Um, just working to bring people in but also make sure that people can move up because just like in libraries you know you might have a lot of black people people of color of various types working in 
the lower tier professional areas but then the higher you go the wider it gets and all of publishing could do with opening up that glass ceiling of whatever color because I know that glass ceiling is like about women but also everybody else um so that's a huge thing and uh, you know like younger people, people who have more of an understanding and all of that, um, of what's popular and what's, what the trends are and stuff doesn't mean that they have to all be white because just because majority culture is white. Um, so that's the biggest thing because that's really what's keeping a lot of people from even wanting to be in the traditional publishing seen because they know that they're they're not going to get anywhere and that the people who might want to buy their book and produce it and sell it are going to want to change it because it doesn't appeal to their majority audience yeah it, it goes back to that conversation of you know i think one of my favorite uh digital content creators kev on stage talks about middle america and how they yeah. always talk about middle america Meanwhile, middle of America literally just meaning white people. And it's just mm -hmm. like, um, I'm also from middle America. <laughs> like, what do you what do you mean exactly when you're saying middle America? I'm from middle America, my family's from middle America. We're all from mid from the Midwest. I know a lot of black people. I know a lot of indigenous people. I know a lot of Latin people who are from middle America. So what do you mean when you say middle America? Because we are there too. And so for you, mm -hmm. it's your excuse for really trying to stay in this box and stay in this comfort area. And it's um, this idea of not having the ability to, to predict what, how something can go. And I think for a lot of not only the publishing company and the film industry is that they know black people, if we like some, we like it. If we don't mm -hmm. like some, we gonna tell you why we don't like it. And I think that that's more so what they're afraid of. They're afraid of, because at the end of the day, everybody's afraid of some form of rejection. And I think mm -hmm. that that is what it is. And so they rather not take the risk of taking the chance and then it gets rejected. But once again, it has been proven time and time again if you create it and you create it well, for instance, Issa Rae, if you create it and create it well, we'll show up and we'll like it and either we'll really, really hate it or we'll really enjoy it. But at the end of the day, we're talking about it. That's <laughs> and, you know, absolutely. And I think that I agree with you. I haven't done a case study either, but like I said, as coming from a person who's also a self-published author, that is exactly what it is. I even though I at some point maybe might pitch a you know a book project to a, a big five publisher, I've always been on the on aired on the side of if I can just create it and get it directly to the consumers that I know want to consume my content, and not have to go through all the the the, the red tape and the bureaucracy, then I'm going to do it. And I just have this whole thing about, you know, having my own intellectual property belong to me and I have to go through all of that other stuff too. But <laughs> but if, if there ever was a bigger publisher to come knocking on my door, then by all means, I am in there with you. I'm there. 
Um, because even with your book, you did definitely go with e, uh, with Penguin Random House, which is a big mm-hmm. deal. That's yeah. a big deal. How did you like, you know, uh, like I said, this is just really having this conversation. How did you pitch this? Because this is like, you. this is what we're talking about. This is a hard sale. How was, how did that go? Um, and I believe you have a literary agent, so I'm sure that helped as well. But how did that go to have this conversation to say, this needs to be in the world? People need to see this and for it to be having the success that it's having. How did that go for you? And I, I'm sure you were overjoyed when you got Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, this is another one of those situations where I lucked into having connections because you mentioned I have a literary agent. Uh, Tara and I started out as mutuals on Twitter. Um, she used to be an editor for a romance imprint that no longer exists and went out into and moved into literary agenting. And I actually reached out to her first and was like, I have this idea. Do you think it would sell? And she said, and you know, I was just, you know, inquiring someone who knows the industry and she was on board right away and said, absolutely. I think this is something that is really needed and here's how you write a nonfiction proposal and get back to me when you're done (laughs) and all of a sudden i had an agent (laughs) that's amazing like this like i said this is a learning environment experiments for me because look i need to know this information and this is how you build connections that clearly Twitter is useful for other things other than negativity. I am mm-hmm. a little afraid of Twitter. I have tried to be on Twitter more than once and I have deleted my accounts each time because it's just so much going on over there. And I mm-hmm. might attempt, I'm not making any promises, but I might attempt to try it a third time. Maybe third times will be the charm. But as I'm as I'm seeing is that Twitter has been very helpful and very useful for you in making connections and getting this book published and getting this book written. And so I, you know, I, I might go back over there. I might try. <laughs> yeah, join us. If you curate your experience well, then you still get some of the weirdness and you still get some of the negativity, but you can also mute and block people to your heart's content. <laughs> and I am team block you. <laughs> I am an advocate for blocking people. <laughs> I think that it is self-care. I think that is very much so necessary. Um, so let's dive into your essay because first off, your essay was amazing. You did a oh, good job writing it. And your essay title was Interracial Romance in in the Single Story. And so when I was reading it, I was like, okay, where are we going, Jessica? Where are we going? (laughs) And um, because I also went to a a PWI or a private white institution as well. But you said so many things here. And uh, I felt like this was a very powerful and complex story. It's just my opinion and you may think differently. It's a very complex story to write, right? Because you mentioned at the very beginning that you're in an interracial relationship, mm-hmm. but you also still feel like there is a need for to see more black and black relationships, meaning black love with black men and black women, and that it's often what they give us and what we're fed in fed into the media and into books is more of a black woman with the white male 
um, that narrative and because you said that it is considered more palatable, which I definitely agree with that sentiment, as you said it, but I thought it was quite interesting because growing up for me, I often seen more black men with white women, but then you mm-hmm. come from the other side of the story to say um, that there's more often on, on TV and in books, there's more black women centered with white males. And I, and I was, as I was reading your essay, I was pondering it and I had to like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know how you go through your, your file in your head and I'm like, mm-hmm. she's right. And I, it never dawned on me that that was actually what was happening. And I remember that year in the Super Bowl, as you mentioned, where it was a lot of commercials that centered on predominantly interracial couples and ambiguous looking children. And mm-hmm. it's not to say that those things are bad, but it's to say that we need to see ourselves. We need to see mm-hmm. our people as well. And um, so talk about that. Let's talk about this essay and why you felt so passionately about that the the conversation of having more couple centered that's centered in specifically black love, which is black men and black women and why that's a necessity and why we need more of that. There have been Um, a lot of conversations recently and over the past several years about this sort of split almost between black romance and interracial romance. And even when I like came back to romance and um, got my first e-reader and started looking through the Kindle store looking for new new books to read and gosh, the 2012 kindle store was like the wild wild west of finding new books i'll tell you um it was almost always when i went looking black women and white men and like like you mentioned it's not like i have a problem with that kind of relationship because i am in one myself but when you look at the past decade and where we are now like even my publisher berkeley they have several black women who are writing for them now but the majority of them either started out with interracial relationships or write almost completely interracial relationships and we see a lot of authors in both the traditional and in the independent arena that write more interracial than um black romance and to the point where there was an argument a couple weeks ago about the fact that someone called anything in which a black woman is getting loved on black romance when that is that's not black romance (laughs) um yeah so you know like when i when i was trying to figure out like what what story i wanted to tell in this in this collection since i had so many other people who could tell other stories so much better than i could i thought about what i had seen what this whole concept of the single story, you know, if, if it's, if this story is the only one that's being told about a group of people, that's what people are going to expect of that group of people. Um, So it was really, it was really something that sat with me because even though I personally love that experience and will pick up any book um, featuring a, a well-produced interracial romance 
it's almost taking over and taking away and erasing the the picture of multiple black people in love Mm -hmm. i agree and i think that's also part of the reason which you know a couple years ago i actually just discovered that there was a black love day and the crazy thing about it is is that black love day has been around for a very long time since like the 90s but it's and it's the day before actual valentine's day so february 13th is black love day and then of course valentine's day is february 14th and i just when i did that brief research about why it was created and why it was necessary it's speaks on some of the things that you just said, which is that we need to see these narratives. And to be honest, I only, the last thing that I remember even seeing on television that centered around black men and black women loving each other was probably the Cosby show. And I know Bill Mm -hmm. Cosby is very um, controversial, but if I had the point of reference, that would be my first go-to. And then the next thing would be, of course, The Fresh Prince. And then um, then after that, it would be like maybe a different world. But these are all shows that are like 20 and 30 years old. And it's just like, you know, the, the closest the thing that I can get to now in this day and age that actually shows Black love and, you know, Black men and Black women being seen is was Insecure. And that was Issa Rae's, but everybody is not, you know, have accessible to that. As far mm-hmm. as mainstream is concerned, we really don't have, because like, I mean, we have Blackish, but Blackish centers on a Black man and a Black woman who is also biracial. And so then it's like, would that be considered Black love? And so I, I it's, it's just so complicated how, nuance I think some of these things get but I do understand the point and the purpose because to be honest is my goal although I've always wanted to do some interracial dating and never had the opportunity to may come at some point it is my goal ultimately I've always desired to be in a romantic relationship and lifelong partnership with a black man and um that's always been a desire of mine and I but I do understand how constantly being exposed to these other stories and seeing these other narratives and stuff you do I mean it's not like I said once again interracial marriage and things like that are not a negative thing because I'm a product of also that as well of those things I mean we all are if you have light skin in the black community, we know how that came into the bloodline. We're fully aware of how that showed up. Like we don't need any reminders. We understand Mm -hmm. how we became the color we became. But I definitely agree with you on, we need to see more of us. And one of the things that, like I said, it was just so many things that I was like, look girl, you come on. (laughs) Oh, Jess, because when you said, because Black women can't have nice things, I was like, whoo, whoo, I'm triggered, I am triggered, like, do we need to have this conversation? And then you said, it feels incredibly visceral when it happens so regularly to a demographic who is so irregularly seen across networks. And I was just like, Jessica is a woman after my own heart, because... (laughs) Yes. And so my question is, 
being that you are in an interracial marriage and how hard was it for you to like write this to have this this to have this essay out here in the world and be like this is completely almost in many ways completely opposite of what I actually am living but I think I have to put this out here I have to say that so what was the hard part about writing this essay for you um, did you feel like it was kind of like ripping apart or tearing down <laughs> the very things that, you know, did you feel, did you, did your love feel challenged while you were writing this or are you, were, were you good? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty firm in, in like my own personal relationship, but there were some way, sometimes when I was writing that particular essay where I had to just be like, pull it back, pull it back. Um, because, you know, even though, like, I know that my personal relationship, um, is founded on something good and that, you know, we've been working together for, you know, a decade and a half to, to work through some of the stuff that is happening on the pages of that essay, like thinking about some of the things as they're presented in in fiction and whether it's on television or in books or if we're talking about history or we're talking about stage plays or whatever um i it's like i had to just make sure that i was still connected to what i was talking about like not separating myself from it but thinking about my family my friend like all of that to really think about how i might be in this particular kind of relationship but it's not the only one i want to see because that's not my parents that's not my grandparents that's not my aunts and uncles that's mm -hmm. like i i am over here we should have this bubble in this little corner but instead we have this bubble and this little corner instead so i I wanted, I, I didn't, you know, second guess my own personal experiences or anything while I was writing it, but I was kind of thinking about like where I sat in all of it as I was, you know, looking at all of these examples that I brought up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, ooh, girl, like, <laughs> I can only imagine, like, I really can only imagine, like, trying to advocate for this, but then why also still trying to remain steadfast and knowing, like, this is what I chose, this is my love, this is what I desire, this is why I chose this, but, and I, and I agree, and I believe that life doesn't have to be this or that, it can be this and that. And so I think that you did mm -hmm. a really good job of mirroring the this and the that to say that although this is my reality, this is the life that I live, listen <laughs> for this. <laughs> like, let's stop acting like this is necessary because mm -hmm. this is my lived experience. This is where I come from. This is where I was birthed from. This is what was created. This is how the this is the love that created me. And who I am, and why, mm -hmm. and why it's still so much, so very much, so important. So, what was some of the? I I know that those were some of the tough parts, but what were some like the really fun parts about writing this essay that you if that you care to share? Well, some of some of the fun parts was really like revisiting a lot of the things that I use as examples, mm -hmm. um, for 
the good and the not so great. Um, doing doing some research to find like some of those those um, those quotes and watching things that I thought maybe I remembered correctly, but really needed to revisit um even just to like remind myself why i like them like i hadn't seen romeo must die in like 20 years at that point and <laughs> i i had sat down to watch it i was like oh there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work in this anymore but it's still fun <laughs> yeah when you mentioned that i was like wait romeo was that was an interracial relationship I, I listen it had been years for me too and now i want to go back and watch it and be like i haven't seen this in forever and so it, i think it's available on one of the streaming sites now so i'm definitely going to take some time to go back and watch it because it was um great so we're coming close to the end here there are so many things so many things i highlighted in this essay that i love to talk to you about um and all i'm gonna say is y'all go pick up the book because it's worth it. like it is definitely worth it but i will want i do want to say this one thing that you said that Black people in the midst of a great romantic relationship is still valid and vital. And there are Black creators, whether they are working under the canopy of, of a bigger white awning or their own, who know how to make it work. And I thought that that was just perfect. I was like, mm, chef's kiss, absolutely. And, and it goes back to your point of what you said earlier, which is that if you put us in the space, then you have the people in the room that can teach you, train you, and talk to you about why this is important <laughs> and why it's necessary. Um, so some of my, I guess, last two questions, one of them is, um, why do you, first off, what advice, let's go with this one first. What advice would you give someone who is a writer and, or maybe starting off writing and they want to break into romance, what advice would you give to that person? Um, as what piece of advice, I should say, would you feel is vital to them when they go into learning or starting their journey as a writer and wanting to, to they, they read your essay and they say, Jessica, I'm going, I'm gung-ho, I'm ready to, to, to jump in. What would you say to them? How, where would you tell them to start in that regard? Gosh. Oh, the, like, the, baseline is definitely reading just reading so i've picked up so many things um on my my little side corner of writing fiction mm -hmm. just from reading other romance novels because you know there's some people who who will say that you have to follow the beats and maybe if you're writing for like harlequin you have to follow certain certain rhythms of a story um, and you know get within a certain page number and all of that but if you look at the indies if you look at Christina C. Jones and Katrina Jackson and um, all of those people you see that you can do almost anything with a romance novel as long as there is a central love story and a happily ever after because what you're offering is the guarantee that no matter what happens in the book if these two people or three or four or however many you're putting together belong together, then they're going to be together at the end. That's so good. That's so good. That is that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's help. Look, that just helped me. Like, that just helped me. Um, so 
if I'm a person, I'm standing in the bookstore or I'm on Amazon and I'm looking at your book or I'm on Bookstagram and I keep seeing your book flash before me, what, why? Give me the elevator speech of why someone needs to pick up Black Love Matters. This book has so many amazing perspectives in it. And as the person who edited it and recruited everyone who was writing it, I can tell you firsthand that there is not a similar essay in this book. And you will learn so much about individual people and Black people as a whole, and you will come out sort of hopeful for the universe and dreading your TBR. <laughs> Thank you for being here. 
it has been wonderful. I'm going to stop the recording and then I'll let you go soon after that. Uh, thank you everybody for being here and thank you for another wonderful week with you all and I'll catch you back here next week. Have a good weekend.